This is Essential. Essential. This is Essential Audio. Before we get started, just a reminder that the 2022 Wark Awards for Effectiveness are now open for entries. Entry is free, and for full details, you can visit wark.com. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome to Wark Behind the Winning Idea. I'm Fergus O'Carroll, host of the On Strategy podcast, where each week I interview strategists and their clients on the thinking behind great work. It's an honor to host this 12-episode series for Wark. In each episode, we interview winners of Wark Awards for Effectiveness. Today, we hear about KFC's Michelin Impossible. It's a campaign from Australia that won a gold in the category of instant impact. The so-called foodie generation, fueled by what's described as the master chef effect in popular culture, had made Australians more educated and discerning about what they ate. And despite previous campaigns educating consumers on its quality, KFC, like many others in the QSR space, was seen as cheap, low-grade food, which was having an impact on sales. Consumers gave credit for making great-tasting food, but not necessarily for making good quality food. Regardless of any legitimate claims they made, no fast food business was perceived as a credible authority on quality food. So when it came to KFC being judged as good quality, it couldn't be KFC talking. It wasn't believable. So they had to find a new way to shift that perception. This is the strategy story of how that new way was discovered and the role a Michelin star played in it all. The written case study is available to members on the WARC website if you're interested in learning more about WARC and its extensive offering on marketing effectiveness and intelligence. You can visit WARC.com and request the demo. So here are Sally Spriggs, Group Marketing Director for KFC South Pacific, and Ryan O'Connell, Chief Strategy Officer for Ogilvy Australia. Enjoy. So welcome, Sally, and welcome, Ryan. Great to have you here. Thanks for Thanks for taking your time out today. Pleasure. You're more than welcome. <laughs> it's uh, you guys are both in Sydney and I'm in Chicago, so it's kind of early evening here and early morning for you the next day. So thanks for making the effort to make this happen. It's um, it's interesting. We've done on my regular show, uh, my my regular podcast, we've done uh, episodes on KFC in the UK and KFC here in the US. And it's interesting that there is some commonalities and some common threads that go through the sort of the brand's DNA, depending on where you are in the world. Um, but I'm I'm excited to hear about the brand from through the lens of the uh, of the way it's executed in uh, Australia. And I I love this case study because it's just such a great unique idea. And I'm so I'm so happy that it uh, was so successful, so that we can do this uh, do this episode for work. So let's start off. Uh, maybe I'll give this to Ryan. Ryan, you know, in in thirty seconds or less, can you explain what you think this case is a great example of? Yeah, sure. I think it's a perfect example of pure creativity. I think so often in advertising we talk about advertising creativity, but this is just a pure creative idea. Uh, and I think it's a case example of thinking outside the box, thinking outside what's expected, what's traditional, uh, and instead coming up with a truly creative solution to a client problem. And so when you when you look at the business, Sally, 
at the at the time prior to this campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about the state of the business and the state of the brand's reputation at that time? Yeah, so um, we as a, a brand, we we are a strong brand in Australia, and uh, we're 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 loved for uh, the taste of our food. Um, it, people crave our food, but um, it often gets credited to, for being poor quality fast food lumped into that that category. And we'd been um, grappling for years how to address that because our our food is in fact um, you know it's freshly prepared. It's got lots of good rational arguments why it's why it is good quality. We we tried to use those rational arguments in advertising in the past. That was the perception we were up against, and we were trying to fight against and no matter how much we tried to fight against it it didn't shift um so that's that's the dilemma that we had we were we were talking the other day in a different episode for work uh, about mcdonald's uh, in new zealand and they were talking about in that time we were talking about the kiwi burger and how things had sort of been elevated in the burger world where there was sort of boutique burgers were becoming competitors. And I'm wondering for you, um, were you dealing with competitors that were more boutique oriented fried chicken and therefore that created a little bit of a dynamic that you had not had to deal with in the past? Absolutely. I think that the the bar just keeps getting raised in terms of, and it's, you know, there's immediate competitors that we call casual dining or fast casual that that are essentially, you know, similar levels of quality, but they um, they position the the their brands um, in a much healthier sort of um, pro- more progressive light. Their their, their restaurants are, are are more like restaurants than fast food, and 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 they get attributed quality um, as a result of that. So. Um, we're absolutely um, we're up against that, um, and uh, we we are lucky in in this country though that um, we do stand for fried chicken and we hold that leadership position. And it was important for us to to keep raising the bar on quality as the leaders uh, in fried chicken as well. So Ryan, when when we talk about the brand, um, can you kind of describe what the the brand's voice? has been or the brand's platform has been in Australia over the years? Yeah, sure. So our tone of voice is the lovable larrikin. Now, I'm pretty sure larrikin's a very Australian word, so I might have to explain that a yeah, little please, bit. Yeah, please, that's good. It's, yeah, it's, basically, it's basically someone who's very cheeky, very mischievous, someone that's quite magnetic, uh, but just a little bit naughty uh, and just someone you really want to hang around with, that they're fun to be around. They don't take themselves too seriously. Um, and yeah, the lovable larrikin is, is our tone of voice. And so how, in what sort of ways has that manifested in campaigns in the past? Is it, is it a character or is it just a tone throughout the work? Well, it's mainly a tone, but, but the protagonists that we have in all our advertising very much live and breathe that tone of voice. Um, and it, it's great for us because it is really ladders into who we are as a product. You know, we are a bit of a cheeky product. We are a bit of an indulgence. Um, so it kind of led us perfectly into a product truth that is a bit of a cheeky indulgence to have KFC. Therefore, our tone of voice also lives and breathes that as well. We're a little bit cheeky in the way that we act, the way that we talk, and the way that we behave. Do you do you guys use the colonel much in Australia as a character? We don't, to be honest. Um, personality? No, it, it, KFC Australia is a, a funny brand in that 
Australians actually consider it very much an Australian brand, even though it's from Kentucky, it definitely has American heritage and American roots, but we're very much considered an Australian brand uh, and Australians love us for that. Um, so we don't necessarily use the Colonel too overtly. We have used him from time to time, but he's not front and center in all of our advertising whatsoever. So Sally, I'm really curious to, to go back and hear a little bit about the ways that you've tried to improve this perception of quality. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming that was a category perception and not necessarily a solely a KFC perception. So what had you tried in campaigns to sort of reverse that or shift that perception in the past? So I would, I would classify it as um, sort of rational um, communication, you know, trying to, trying to shift um, perceptions on a rational level. So we had, uh, we had a, a line that we, and it, it went from for, for many years, actually, we, um, to varying degrees of sex, success, like there was, it wasn't all complete failure, but um, it, um, you know, we had a line called fresh taste best. We claimed that our chicken, we, we, um, was delivered fresh daily, which it is, um, and we used that um, for a, a period of time. We also um, did a campaign around our oil um, and promoted that, the, the oil that we fry our chicken in is Australian grown and um, did a whole campaign around the providence of oil. So we, we tried um, various um, sort of claims around, around rational proof points of of quality. We also had opened our kitchens up, um, the back of house for tours to, to prove to people that we, you know, we do um, cook this fresh. Um, it is it is like home cooked food. Um, and we we had done that, but it it just it just didn't stick. Um, for a number of reasons, I think that it's it's a category perception, you're right. It's like people's mental template is that fast food equals bad quality. Um, and then the to to Ryan and Ryan's point about our character, our character is the lovable arrogant, that people don't want to hear rational proof points from KFC. They just want to, they just want to dig in and eat the food and and love us for it. Um, so they that was why it was trouble having trouble stick. And I guess the the Michelin campaign was an attempt at just going a completely different angle about it doing it on an emotional level and and really delivering it in a way that does that is like a lovable larrikin at some point sally you've tried a number of different things they're not they're not delivering in the way that you need them to deliver um what then leads to this new brief what was going on was there any particular trigger point or shift that led you to think okay we got to consider something different and what was your brief to the agency yeah, so we um, we had learnt in in talking to um, our customers about about the brand and quality. Um, we we learnt that our original name, Kentucky Fried Chicken, had actually more craft and quality cues to it than than KFC, the shortened version. Huh. Um, and we, <laughs> we had dropped. Um, the, well, globally dropped the original name um, like 23 years ago, I think, or thereabouts. Um, and and we, through the, the research and, and learning that, that that name had a certain sort of craft and quality to it, we thought, 
okay, there's there's something in that. We and we decided to bring bring Kentucky Fried Chicken back into our comms. We didn't, we hadn't used it for for like 23 years, and we weren't going to drop KFC because KFC was, you know, was was the way people referred to it. It was it was the brand that people had become attached to, and it re- represented the whole experience and not just the food, but but we decided to bring Kentucky Fried Chicken back to represent the food. And um, and that was actually the brief to the agency is that we 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 can't just it, we can't just bring it back. It's not going to replace KFC as our name. We need to do it um, in a way that attaches it to our food and and brings all those those wonderful quality that that people conjure up in their mind when they think of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, and I think it was because we hadn't used it for so long that it had had that that wonderful craft and nostalgia attached to it as well. Um, so that was essentially the brief to to the agency. So um, when you when you get this, Ryan, um, number one, what's your reaction? And then number two, as a planning group, what do you guys undertake in order to better understand the dynamics and what's happening? Yeah, it's a bit of a cliche in planning world to have that aha moment. But I think when the guys armed us with that research report that said when Australians remember that the K, the F and the C in KFC stands for Kentucky Fried Chicken, it actually starts to do some heavy lifting on these quality perceptions. It was like, wow, that, that's, that, that's impressive. That's such a, a small change in a, a, a brand truth change. You know, we weren't creating anything new. This is literally what KFC stood for. Um, so our, our job after that was, okay, how can we get as many strands as possible to remember that KFC stands for Kentucky Fried Chicken? And, that, and that's an exciting brief. That's a very clear directional brief, not necessarily an easy brief, but, but it was a very clear directional brief, and that was the start of the strategic process. So what, what would it be? I'm super curious. What was it about those three words, Kentucky Fried Chicken, that elevated it? What was it in that that, that gave it yeah, there that? Were, there was about four or five factors. I think the first one is it reminded people that it's a recipe uh, and it's a recipe that's been used for you know 50 years in Australia, but probably 75 or, or more in America. So there's a recipe, there's a heritage behind it. The Kentucky part unlocks this part of the brain that reminds people that it's from the home of fried chicken, which suggests, hey, that's going to be a quality product. Um, it's the craft that, that Sally talked about. So all these things that we've been magically looking for for four or five years were unlocked just by reminding people that KFC stood for Kentucky Fried Chicken. We started to get these um, uh, quality perceptions were started to be unlocked just by that sheer name change. Well, not name change, but just reminding people that's what the brand stood for. Yeah, and that's the important thing, which is it's more than just saying the name. It was you had to put it in a context that sort of an origin story context that uh, made it have that imbued it with a different set of meanings, right? Correct. And and once once Australians stopped and actually thought about it, and that's you know that's half the battle with communications that getting people to, to actually take notice. But once actually people stopped and thought about it, it was almost like, huh. Yeah, and all these kind of thoughts in their heads kind of reminded them that, you know, this is a quality product that's been around for a long time. We haven't changed the recipe, so clearly we're doing something good and clearly it must be a quality product if it's unchanged and crafted and been around that long. Did you guys go out as an agency independently and do uh, your your own sort of field work to sort of understand nuance and what's going on in culture or was it already baked into the research you got from the client? 
So there was a, a, a lot of the stuff in the research talked about, um, you know, the perceptions of KFC and the perceptions of Kentucky Fried Chicken side by side. I think that so a lot of the heavy lifting be done there about what our message should be or, or the phrase or the terminology we should use. So most of the research work that we undertook was actually unpacking the previous campaigns that we had done and that other brands had done with the same brief or the same territory and starting to unpack what had worked, what hadn't and why. I think that probably led us to our next big strategic leap is that it couldn't be us talking. I know Sally's already mentioned this before, but there's, you know, there's a behavioral science principle called messenger effect, which means you can be influenced by a message by who is saying that message. And normally people use that for the positive. They use someone that can be influential, but it works the other way. And for us, it did work the other way. Our message was not impactful because it was coming from us. So the next big strategic leap we made based on the fact that when we talk about our food credentials, people just don't believe us. They think we're full of it. Um, so it couldn't be us talking. And that combined with the Kentucky Fried Chicken was kind of the two strategic kind of leaps that we had in our arsenal to get cracking. So did you feel at that time, Ryan, that you knew what you needed to say? You just didn't know. You had to then discover the vessel for saying it. Correct. So, so you know, the very first strategic route we went down, funnily enough, was let's just um, say Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and reward people that order when they're ordering Kentucky Fried Chicken, when they order Kentucky Fried Chicken instead of KFC and just get as many people as possible saying Kentucky Fried Chicken. But we thought this was probably only doing half the job. There's still not really an idea there. Um, we still probably needed some way to engage as many Australians as possible to remind them that KFC stands for Kentucky Fried Chicken. So the job was half done but we still needed that creative idea that adds the engagement uh, that gets the magnetism towards a campaign and gets people talking about it. So we knew to your point, we knew what we needed to say or what we needed to do. We didn't know how to do it just yet though. So Sally, the other thing that I, that I was really intrigued by, because I think it's a universal issue just because we live in a world of global entertainment is this, um, is this um, cultural reference or this cultural dynamic that's uh, built up over the last 10 to 15 years maybe and you guys labeled it as the master chef effect what is the master chef effect and, and how is it relevant to this case yeah it, like a, a, the 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 bar raising on on food quality it's just i guess i i would describe it as um people are much more involved in their food and where their food is coming from and what it, what it's made of um, how it's made um, and and how it you know and how it's even down to how it's wrapped it almost seems Ryan that uh, I think the master chef effect in the US as far as I have noticed and I've noticed it in the behaviors of others and even in myself is the sense that we now know or feel we know how good food should taste or, or how sh things should be because the sort of the the we've gotten to see behind the curtain where it's been somewhat demystified and democratized through sh through shows like master chef and and i think you know maybe it's one of the curses of gordon ramsay that he sort <laughs> of exposed the back the back kitchen has been opened up for us all to see the way things should and should not be done is that do you look at the master chef effect and that sort of cultural trend a little differently or would you agree with that definition of it no i totally agree i think it's to sales point it's just been an, a fantastic education job that, that shows like that have done across the country and across the globe of just allowing everyone to think that they know just a little bit more about where their food comes from 
what it should taste like, the preparation that should go into it. So the bar's been raised across the country, across the globe, in terms of people understanding more about their food and being more involved in it. So when we when you, so you've done this research, you've sort of recognized the 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 value of Kentucky Fried Chicken versus KFC. Um, you've 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 recognized that the brand that the brand cannot talk directly as part of this campaign. So I'm curious about any strategic directions that you guys considered internally, but decided not to follow. Was there conversations back and forth about that? Because this is the stuff that our listeners love to hear. Yeah, well, funnily enough, the very first strategic territory that we came up with is one that politicians use quite a lot. And that's totally reframing the question and not answering the brief, if funnily enough, and, and kind of asking people to look over here instead of over there. And it was basically saying, well, let's not talk about quality at all. Let's just talk about how great we taste and, and take quality out of it. It was almost like this thought of, hey, we taste so good, so who cares? Just eat us anyway. But you know, as, as controversial as that might be and exciting as that might have been for a brief, it still wasn't answering the brief. And, and we do enough other work, to be honest, that talks about how good our, our food is and how good it tastes. But that was the first one we looked at is let's just totally reframe the question then. If, if, we, if we've tried to solve this before and it's not working, let's try something completely different. And that was the first strategic territory. We ended up ditching that though, as I said. And then the second territory that we arrived at was one that I hinted at before, and it was basically just this thought of let's just get everyone saying Kentucky Fried Chicken every time that they're talking about KFC. You know, if that slight language twist or change does a lot of heavy lifting for us from a quality perception, then let's just go hard on that from a strategic point of view. Let's just get everybody saying that phrase as much as possible, get it back into the vernacular. Uh, to Sally's point, it's not language we'd use for like 23 years. So it was going to be quite a seismic shift. So that was the second strategic territory. And then the third one was the one we actually ended up going with, and that's to associate ourselves with known symbols of quality and get our quality perceptions up by kind of uh, laddering up to something else that's perceived as quality. So, Sally, do you guys use finger licking good at all in, in Australia? Have you ever used it? Yeah, Yes, we do. So finger licking good was our, our tagline at the time. We, we are... And we don't use it, we don't imbue a great deal of meaning to it. So it's 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 a tagline that lives in the written word more than anything. So when when Ryan and the team come to you and there's discussions about these two directions, these first two strategic directions, well, number one, did they ever make it to your office or to your Zoom window? Uh, our, our, and then what was your reaction to that? <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, I I um I think fondly back to the meetings we had and they weren't weren't over Teams or Zoom at all. Um, <laughs> and we worked very, very, very closely together. So we workshopped those um those strategic territories heavily. Um, in fact, the first one that Ryan's talking about, um, we did did do some paid media behind. Um, so we we literally reflected, you know, the the the, the love of the taste um, with a beautiful image of of Kentucky Fried Chicken and used the term Kentucky Fried Chicken. So we sort of hedged our bets a little bit and went, you know what, we can we can run this as a paid campaign, but it's not going to change perceptions. It's just going to keep reinforcing that people love our taste. Um, and 
And then the the second one of getting everyone to to say Kentucky Fried Chicken, I think there was an element of like, how realistic is that? How how if we're forcing it, that it, it's not feeling authentic anyway. So um, we we led we led into the third one, and I, I think um, it was the idea that sold us as well. Um, you know, there were there were no other ideas in the third strategic direction that we even considered. It was. Once we saw the the Michelin idea, we were all just like, "Yeah, this is it. This is scary, but this is it." The first two directions uh, feel a little more well. Certainly, they are more traditional, but then this one just comes out of left field. I mean, th- this third recommendation, as I read it, is you know completely different and completely original, as far as I can remember in my uh, small brain here. Um, so, Ryan. Where does it come from, first of all? Because it, it feels like it's inspired from something else. I've got to give the creative team a lot of credit here. So the creative director, Sean Brennigan, and the team, Blake Arthur and Carl Robinson, I remember vividly the first creative review where they presented three ideas and Michelin was the first idea they presented. And I can't remember the other two ideas. I had to go back last night and look at them because we all looked at each other in the room and said, that's it. That is the answer. Um, And it was just a fantastic leap from strategy into creative. We gave them the strategy of let's associate ourselves with a symbol of quality. They came back and said, well, the, the, the best symbol of food quality in the world is a Michelin star. So how about we do that? And it was just like, wow, it's, it's, it's a perfect linear leap, but it's a great creative leap. Uh, it's a great creative idea, as, as you mentioned. And literally, we just all looked at each other and said, yep, that's it. And then when we presented to Sally, she was exactly the same. Well, I think we presented two ideas on the day. Um, we didn't spend a lot of time on the second one, I can tell you. <laughs> but we literally just said, yep, that is it. That, that, it totally nails the brief. It's not us talking. It does food quality. It associates ourselves with a symbol of food quality, not just quality, but food quality. It's ticking all the boxes. Now we're just going to make sure it comes to life in the right way. But I'm 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 curious how the the uh, the original idea of uh, the brief being we need to associate ourselves with a symbol of quality. Where did that thought come from, uh, and and what underpinned it? Like is something that came out of the research. Yeah, we did. Uh, we've got the behavioural science unit that's hard baked into our strategic offering at Ogilvy, and they do a lot of work with us to understand how the brains work, how consumers' brains work. And there was an insight around authority bias, and basically, it basically, you know, that's the scientific version of what's there in terms of um, associating ourselves with other symbols of quality. But humans, um, when they look at something, there's almost like a parallel between I associate that. With that, therefore, I'll give you credit for quality. So there was a there was a behavioural science component behind it, which kind of led to how we can actually start to increase our perceptions of food quality, and that's by associating ourselves with other symbols of quality. So one of the other creative ideas we actually had was being the champagne of fried chicken, because champagne imbues all these images of quality, of premium, uh, of a good product. So if we can say, hey, we're the champagne of fried chicken. That's another example of that bias where you you kind of associate yourself with that product or with that thing, and it gives you the thing that you're after. So that's where the leap came from. So, yeah, Sally, and I, oh, sorry, go ahead, uh, Sally. Sorry, I just yeah. The other thing I was going to add to that is that we because because we are locked into you know fast food equals poor quality food. We we knew we had to get ourselves out of the category. 
Um, and the easiest way to get yourself out of the category is to, to line yourself up with, with another reference point. <laughs> um, so that was, that was w where it came from as well, is that we, we, not, we needed to go beyond fast, fast food category. So Sally, when, when the idea is presented to you, in what form was it presented and what was your reaction to it immediately? I, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the form, I guess. It, like the creative, uh, Blake and Carl, the creative team presented it to me and um, it was, you know, they told a story about it. They had some slides to support it and it's such a simple idea that, um, it, it like I got it like you, you just get it straight away you know like yeah let's go for a Michelin star right. um, and and funnily enough I had, had to then uh, you know sell that into all the internal stakeholders and I remember um, the meeting with our our um, our managing director at the at the time and and she was the same she was like oh yeah I love it like it just you know it, it was just an easy thing because everybody everybody loved it everyone we went to t sell it to afterwards was just they completely got it it's like yes we do deserve to go for a Michelin star yeah. so did you did you did you test the idea at all Sally once at any point no no we didn't I we love didn't that yeah yeah, no, we we don't believe in 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 getting consumers to judge creative because they can't judge creative. They can only react to creative. So, um, and we had enough confidence with our own our own, you know, with the the base strategic research that we did. It, we knew it was coming from a strong foundation of of base insight, and um, we didn't, you know, from there it was a a creative approach it wasn't about getting consumers to tweak and judge that so ryan can you explain for the listener what the idea was yeah sure um <laughs> to sell's point it was it was two slides actually it was like we're going to try and win a michelin star and then the next slide was how that might come to life so it was you know, it was a pretty straightforward idea, but because a Michelin star is the greatest signifier of quality in the restaurant category, um, and we wanted to associate ourselves with a similar quality, there was no better symbol for us to actually associate ourselves with than a Michelin star. So winning it was kind of irrelevant, to be honest. What we wanted to do was associate ourselves with this symbol, get people talking. You know, it's such an interesting idea that we knew Australians and, and media figures would talk about it. Once people are talking about it, they would think about our food in the context in which we wanted them to, which was quality. And then ultimately we wanted to get, you know, credit for making quality fried chicken. So that that was the kind of the step through from a creative point of view of how we wanted it to come to life. So you um so you want to win a Michelin star. I mean, which what restaurant doesn't want to do that? So what was the sort of pathway that you saw for you guys to make a strong attempt of it and to do it in a, in a way that would be compelling enough? Well, I mean, as I mentioned before, it couldn't be us trying to win this award. Um, that was going to come across as a bit too corporate, probably a little bit too try hard. So we knew it had to be someone else that was kind of going to lead this mission for us. Um, so then we started to think about, you know, who can that person be or who can those people be? And Sally had the great idea of this franchisee that she knew who owns the franchisee in Alice Springs, which is literally the most remote KFC restaurant in the entire world. It's smack bang in the middle of Australia. 
in the middle of nowhere, some would say. Um, but this Sam guy, Sam Edelman, just perfectly embodied who this brand is. We talked before about Larrikin. Sam is a larrikin. He's cheeky. He's funny. He's lovable. He's just someone that you just want to spend time around. Um, and because of that, he was very, he, he was, a, it was a, a character that we knew Aussies would resonate with because they probably see a lot of themselves in him. So he became the perfect person to lead this mission to try to get a Michelin staff at the chicken at his restaurant, his KFC. And that was kind of the next tipping point. So Sally, um, so you, I was going to ask that question, which is where did Sam come from? So you, did he just pop to mind when you guys were thinking about, because I got to think that it, it, it could have been, you, you ultimately selected a franchise owner, but it could have been somebody else who wasn't associated with the brand or, or was associated with cuisine, but not the brand. Did you guys talk about those sort of alternatives? Yeah, we, we debated whether it could be a restaurant manager uh, or a a customer like I think we talked about who who could who could do this um but um it felt like a franchisee was the right place to be because they are uh, own own the restaurant they're passionate about their business and then uh Sam was just like he, he's the first one that just popped into my head because he he is just as as Ryan said he he like epitomizes the brand. The fact that his store is so remote was another great benefit for us um, because one of the criterias of, of um, Michelin is that you've got to travel a long way to go, get there. Um, so it, it, he just ticked every single box. Um, and uh, and we, I feel actually very fortunate that, that we had a franchisee like that. We've got we've got some amazing franchisees in our business, by the way. But he, the fact that he was so so perfect for this, I just felt like it was it was meant to be. Yeah, he's he's definitely a character, and he's definitely passionate uh, about chicken. There's no doubt about that. But but I, I'm I'm I'd love a little more detail, Ryan, because we we know now just for the listeners. So we know now that you're on a quest for. Uh, Sam to, uh, you know, search out and achieve a Michelin star for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Okay, how, how does this come to life? What has to happen and, and what, is, what is the campaign experience for the viewer watching it? Yeah, so the, the basic idea is to win a Michelin star for KFC. We had to figure out how is that going to gain media traction? How is that going to become a newsworthy story? How is that going to be something that Australians want to rally behind and discuss? So we worked with our PR partners, OPR, who are just fantastic. And they started to put together almost a calendar of events that would say how this can start to come to life. Uh, how can we get this guy in front of the media? How can we get this to be front page news? How can we get this on the radio? How can we get this on talkback radio and, and things like that? So it actually starts to take off and, and Australians start to hear about it, see it and start to want to follow his journey. So behind the scenes, it looked all very organic in front of the camera, um, but behind the camera and behind, it was very smart media strategy. And I think the first thing we need to do, funnily enough, was get him media trained. You know, he, he's not, he hasn't been in front of the media before, he's just a franchisee. So spending some time getting him ready to deal with media, uh, to answer the questions in the way that we wanted, uh, and to kind of control the narrative as best we could was what happened behind the scenes. And then we organised interviews, 
um, and a lot of um, conversations for him to have. And then it just took off. And, and you know, we had a lot of contingency plans um, to make sure it did. Um, but the first, it was just getting him in front of a, a radio host near, very near his restaurant, fly enough, in Alice Springs, so a local radio show, uh, to talk about his quest. And then, boom, it just took off from there. So, Sally, it, it, it took off in what kind of way? Well, it, um, I, I think we, we thought it might trickle out in social media um, because he had his own Facebook page and that's where he, he um, you know, he he posted his um, his mission there, and um, we we never knew quite exactly how it would take off, but it took off a lot quicker than we expected. It went it went to mainstream, you know. The the media took, picked it up immediately, basically um, on that radio interview, and um, and it went to the front page <laughs> straight away. <laughs> you know, the media didn't just report it; they talked about it. They they had jokes and fun with it and and that got Australians doing the same thing so so um Sam Edelman is media trained he goes on the radio it catches fire so far there's no paid media it seems that that the the only thing I've seen that feels produced was when which is a super smart thing to do was you guys sent Sam uh to Paris Ryan to the headquarters of Michelin (laughs) Tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty last minute. I've got to be honest. We had a lot of ideas that we thought to help it gain traction and make sure that it maintained momentum and, and stayed in the news cycle. Um, it blew up so fast, to Sally's point. There was a radio station interview, then it was front page news the next day, and within a week he was on national publications. You know, number one radio show in Australia had him on um, and the number one TV morning show had him on. And it, it was just big news within you know a, a week he might have created the secret herbs and spices but around here i'm the colonel sam edelman is the kfc franchisee here in the ellis where hope not to mention sheer audacity springs eternal the chicken king of ellis springs says his food is so special he's applied for a michelin star seriously delicious it's breaded in the colonel's secret herbs and spices delivered fresh five days a week what do you think of the food here? It's great. Otherwise, I wouldn't come here as much often as I do. How often do you come here? About two or three times a week, maybe even four. Michelin impossible? No, I say Michelin possible. So to keep things going, we had the idea of, hey, to keep, keep interest and have new news about this story so it doesn't kind of fizzle out, let's send into Paris and try to get an interview with, with the guys at Michelin. And that was just another kind of lever we pulled. Um, to keep it in the news cycle, which is pretty rare. I think most PR campaigns, you get a 24-hour spike and then things kind of go away and there's a new news story for people to discuss. But we were able to have a number of spikes over about a four-week period because we kept on having ideas that kept it new, kept it fresh, a new angle for the media to talk about, a new angle for the media to joke about uh, and try to keep it in people's faces for as long as possible. So in that four-week window, um, Sally, are you you guys, I assume, uh, in, within that window is the decision that he needs to go to, to France, to Paris. Um, are you then sending clips back from that trip, video clips that are fueling the, the media interest back home? Or did you have to wait until he came back? Because I think he was there for a couple of weeks, right, before you could begin to fuel the beast again? It was a little bit of both, to be honest. So 
some some clips were being sent back um and and then there was a big celebration when he returned home um which gave it gave it another spike we had like we had a complete war room of how this all the all the different contingencies of how this thing might end up playing out in media and the paris trip was like one of the ideas that just sat there that like we we literally didn't know whether it was like a pipe dream or, or not <laughs> and then um and and then sam was keen and we're like this is taking off let's do it so i'm going to drop a, a clip uh from the uh the paris trip and ryan can you can you explain what's what happens in paris and what does what sam actually does when he gets there <laughs> yeah, he literally turns up unannounced to Michelin headquarters to try to have a meeting with the head of Michelin to try to put his case forward for winning a star. Now, we were under no illusion that that may not happen, you know, that, that the extent of that content may just be him getting to the fore and that's it. But funnily enough, the director of Michelin was quite happy to, to, to have a, a sit-down chat with him, which was fantastic and somewhat unexpected i think it's it's a sales point it's one of those pipe dreams that you hope some awesome content might come out of this trip to paris we got way more than we ever anticipated or expected which was fantastic you are gonna be joking he's flying from the alice to paris you're just gonna show up and uh, with the chicken uh, i think you're just crazy there's a guy there okay here we go. Let's see if I can speak to someone from the Michelin Guide. So if you come to Australia, what are my chances of getting a star? So sports bets paying 11 to 1 odds for Kentucky Fried Chicken to actually get the star. I'm not sure you have uh, a lot of sense for that. Now, Ron. Uh-oh. Should we get behind him? <laughs> Look, I absolutely agree. So, you know, one of the things I was struck by when I read the case was this term contingency planning. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term we frequently use in, in strategy, obviously, and in, and in, in uh, comm strategy. But I'm, I'm, I, I was particularly intrigued by it because of the nature of this campaign that that you really didn't know where this was going to go so to the to sally's point about the war room earlier um describe the war room what were you doing were you monitoring sort of public opinion were you looking at social to see what was gaining traction and what was not were you deploying by the hour explain take us inside that room yeah yeah, so the war room was a stand-up room on purpose where we would catch up at 9 a.m. every morning. So representatives from the client team and the two agency teams of OPR and Ogilvy would catch up for an hour and see what news had happened in the 24-hour news cycle, where the story had gone to, so that we could be as nimble and reactive as possible. Because whilst we had a core idea, we didn't actually know, you know, what path it would go down to and, you know, how where it would go and what we needed to adapt to. So... Over the four-week period, we caught up every morning for an hour just to monitor what had happened on social, what had happened in the media, what things we could latch onto, what things we should shut down, what things we should follow and invest in. Um, and that enabled us to be really reactive to what was happening um, um, so that we could kind of continue to get our narrative out there and it didn't go down a path we didn't want it to or hoped it wouldn't go down to. Um, but because of that, we were able to do the contingency planning. Now, on the contingency planning, the whole idea here was based on reach. The, the objective was to speak to as many Australians as possible. So it was designed to reach as many Australians as possible. Um, now, there are a number of ways that you can achieve reach, but they do sit on a spectrum that's probably best summarised by organic reach at one end, 
to paid reach at the other end of the spectrum. So the more you pay for it, the more you can obviously guarantee it. Um, but the more you pay for it, the less authentic it becomes, the more it becomes advertising. And in all honesty, the more it becomes KFC talking. So whilst we could, you know, down the spectrum, we could guarantee the reach, the further we went down the spectrum, we did sacrifice that authenticity and that kind of fact that's not us talking. So there was contingencies along that spectrum. Uh, we didn't want to get down that spectrum, but if we had to, if we had to guarantee the reach that we're after, we could, but the idea was to not, if, if possible. So no paid media as part of the whole program? Um, there wasn't, I mean, there was some paid media in terms of just a couple of um, outdoor posters that talked about Kentucky Fried Chicken and kind of brought that terminology back. The other thing we did is we changed our packaging as well. So all of our packaging went back to having Kentucky Fried Chicken on it. So that was the kind of most marketing, marketing type stuff that we did. Um, but we didn't end up having to have paid media for the Michelin star idea, no. So I, I love the point that came up earlier, Sally, which was the fact that um, getting the star was not the point. It was, it was, it was other than that. Can you explain that? Because at the end of all of this, if you didn't get the star, I, I can imagine a a, uh, a glass is half empty person might say, "Well, oh, we failed." Uh, how did you How did you guys look at it? Yeah, it was it was really about um, the fact that we believed that we were worthy of a star. That's, oh, that Sam believed he was worthy of the star and that he he had the proof points to to say he was worthy of the star, you know, and and talk about the, how good Kentucky Fried Chicken was and how people travel to for miles to get to his restaurant. Um, so it was it was all this it was all the storytelling of going for a star that was the most important part, not not actually getting a star because there is no restaurant in Australia that has a Michelin star. Oh, no, I'm kidding. I didn't realize that. Yeah. So just to that, yeah. just to that point, Fergus, that one of the criteria for Michelin star is worth a special journey. That is literally one of the criteria for Michelin star that's worth a special journey. And when we talked to Sam, he revealed that there are some of his customers travel 1,600 kilometres. I'm not sure what that is in miles, but it's a long way just to get his KFC just to get his Kentucky Fried Chicken. So we're like, oh, hang on, we ticked a box. That is that is a special yeah. journey just for that food. So we all convinced ourselves that we should win. Yeah, that is not fast food. I'll tell you that when you have to go that far. <laughs> the, the the other thing, did Sam get a star? Not yet. <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> so, not yet. So you, you, you have to sort of wait and see what ultimately ends up happening. <laughs> No, as Sally, as Sally said, no restaurant in Australia has actually got a mission start, none at all. So it, it was always a long shot. Um, but, you know, we, we still believe we were worthy and that's half the battle. I love it. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, about KPIs and returns. This is obviously a work uh, podcast. You guys have won uh, for not only for a great creative idea, but for the effectiveness and results. Um, Ryan, can you give us a, maybe a sense from a brand point of view of some of the KPI success and maybe Sally, then we could talk about some of the business metrics? Yeah, the two main, the marketing objectives for us were reach. We literally wanted to speak to as many Australians as possible. That was the brief. We wanted to get people thinking about Kentucky Fried Chicken in a different way. And we wanted as many people doing that as possible. So the target that we gave ourselves was 51 pieces of media coverage. 
with a reach of 21 million impressions. And that was based on some work that the public relations agency did around previous campaigns and what a benchmark should be and, and how much we could realistically hope to get media traction. The results was actually against a target of 51 pieces of media coverage, we got 564. And then against a, a target of 21 impressions, we got 662 million. So we achieved it. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, de we definitely, you know, it's the most successful earned PR campaign we'd done to that point. So we definitely reached as many people as possible, which was the first thing. Then in terms of the perceptions, we did do a post-campaign research, qualitative research, just to see if it did actually change perceptions. And in all honesty, there's a whole bunch of questions that were in that um, survey. But the one key one for us is that 65% of respondents thought it improved their perceptions of KFC's food. So two in three people thought that this campaign... Compared, compared to what sort of, what was the pre-wave? Well, we, we gave ourselves a target of 50%, 50. to be honest, that we hadn't asked this question before, in all honesty, but we thought if we can get, you know, half the people that we reach thinking more positively about our food, that, that's a pretty good, you know, that was actually pretty audacious, to be honest, to get half, but we, we smashed that as well. So we got 65% of people that came into contact that actually thought, yeah, that, that does make me think differently about KFC food. So Sally, from a, how about from a business point of view, uh, what kind of metrics came out of that? All up, we we achieved an RO, ROI of 17 to 1. Uh, and um, how this translated into to sales and business growth is that um, we grew at um, almost 8%, um, which is double that of the category growth for the period. Wow. Um, and a 3% increase on the, the growth that we'd had year-to-date. So um, it was a pretty significant result for us. Well, guys, I wanted to congratulate you. It's, uh, it's a, a Warwick Gold Award for KFC Australia in the category of Instant Impact. Michelin Impossible. Nice, uh, nice uh, play on words there. It's, uh, it's Ryan O'Connell, Ogilvy, Australia, and Sally Spriggs at KFC in the South Pacific. That sounds very exotic, the South Pacific part of that there. <laughs> uh, so thank you both for your time. And uh, for those who want to uh, read the uh, full case study, you can do so as a member on work.com. Or if you're interested in work and its offerings, you can ask for a demo at work.com. Thank you very much for your time and congratulations once again. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Fergus. Have a terrific day.